All right, guys, good morning. Happy Easter. Great to see you guys here this morning. So I was telling some people in the lobby when they were making comments about my suit, I said, this is the one week where I am not the lead pastor of Salt City Church. I am the senior pastor of Salt City Church. (laughs) You have to have that title when you're wearing a suit, right? Well, happy Easter. It's great to have you guys here. So we are going to be looking at this passage in Scripture that focuses us in on the resurrection. And my hope is that this passage brings hope into your heart. So turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're looking at verses 13 through 18. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. The verses will be on the screens as well. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I don't know about you, but I think sometimes... I feel a pressure to have a certain feeling on a certain holiday. And with Easter, I think sometimes we can feel like we have to manufacture some kind of joy, some kind of hope that maybe we're not always particularly feeling on Easter Sunday. And as I was sort of feeling this way to some degree this week, I cracked open one of the commentaries that I was reading. And in introduction to this chapter, here's what John Stott wrote. Paul now sets out to encourage the faint-hearted. If we inquire into the case of their faint-heartedness, the context supplies the answer. Their anxiety related first to the problem of bereavement. They were apprehensive about their Christian friends who had died. And secondly, to the problem of judgment, they were apprehensive about themselves and their own readiness for the day of reckoning. Here's what Stott's saying. This passage is written to tired, sad Christians. As Christians, we don't always feel filled with joy. We don't always feel filled with hope. And as I was reading through that, I couldn't help but get emotional thinking about my last year. Since last Easter, I lost my son. My five-month-old son died. And I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, which makes me tired. And so I come into Easter Hopeful, but both sad and tired. In fact, as I was putting on the shirt this morning, I don't wear 
this pink shirt often. In fact, the only other time I wore this pink shirt was at my son Jude's funeral. And I was like, you know what? That's why we celebrate Easter. Because we're sad and we're tired and we need a real and living hope. And so if you're sad and tired coming to Easter, I have good news for you. Jesus was dead coming into Easter. He had it worse than you. Jesus rose from death. And so no matter what your sadness or tiredness is related to, I have hope for you this morning. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is our hope. It's not our circumstances. It's not how we feel. It's him. So let's walk through this passage slowly together and see three reasons that Jesus is our hope. The first one is that Jesus died and rose again. It's again, straight from the passage. Let me read it again just so it's clear. This isn't my authority. This is on the authority of God's word. Verses 13 and 14. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So here's what's possible. As Christians, our hearts can start to sink because we forget about the truth. In other words, we remember some parts of the truth, but we're uninformed about others. And there's nothing like grief and sadness that make us forget what is actually true. And so what Paul writes to this church at Thessalonica is he tells them they need to remember what is true. He says the most foundational thing that you can remember that will comfort you since your Christian loved ones have fallen asleep, which is another way of saying that they have died, is to remember that Jesus died and rose again. So the question is, what does Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with us? Real people, with them, real people. Why does it matter that some guy lived, died, and rose again 2,000 years ago? And the answer is that Jesus has set a pattern for us. In other words, God sent Jesus as the representative of humanity. The first representative, Adam, failed. God simply told him not to eat fruit from a tree, and Adam couldn't even keep his hands off of that. And so he messed up the whole world. And for thousands of years, the Jewish people were waiting for this representative who would faithfully represent humanity and bring people into the presence of God, who would gulf this gap between heaven and earth that's been created by your sin and by my sin. And for years, they had put their hope in certain individuals who came along, and every one of those individuals, without exception, died. And then comes Jesus. Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live. 
his best friends who walked with him day in and day out, who went fishing with him, who ate and drank with him, all testify that Jesus never once stepped outside of the good boundaries of God's law. He loved his neighbor as himself. He did unto others as he wished that they would do to him. And the ultimate example of him doing for us what we could not do for ourselves is that Jesus became obedient to the point of death on the cross. The meaning of Jesus' death on the cross is not that he was a criminal or that he did something wrong or that God somehow turned his back on his son because there was some deficiency in him. The meaning of the cross is that Jesus got what you and I deserve. When you look at the cross, you see the love of God, but you should also understand that you're the one who deserves to be hanging there. But here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He's the author of life. He is the eternally existing one. By his very nature, he cannot stay dead. And so although he was in the tomb for three days, he rose again. He's alive. He's not just the founder of a religion. He is God himself. He is currently ruling and reigning over the universe. And through the church, he is calling people who are far from God back to himself. And so, Paul says, you don't have to be afraid of death. Because Jesus has set the pattern for you. Here's what I mean by that. I mean that Jesus, as our representative, has said, if you will place your faith in me, if you will trust in me that my death was your death, that my resurrection is your resurrection, you will live forever. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking back to last summer, and I was thinking about my daughter Hazel as we were at the pool, and she would look up at the big green slide. The big green slide to her was like death. A dark tunnel leading to nowhere. And she would sit in the pool and just look up at the big green slide. That is until her brother, Luke, took the plunge. He went into that dark tunnel. And he came out the other side. (laughs) And he told Hazel, there's nothing to be afraid of. The slide doesn't lead to death. It leads to fun and life. Jesus is our older brother who faced death and who came out the other side. And he says, follow me. Trust in me. I know the answer 
that every person is looking for. And I'm telling you, life is not kept, found in keeping the rules, in doing the right thing, in following some specific religion. Life is found in Jesus Christ himself. So our first hope, Jesus has died and risen again. So how will Jesus bring us into this life? Paul gives us a second hope, and that is that Jesus will descend from heaven. Listen to what Paul says again, verses 15 through 17. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Immediately, what I thought of when I read this passage is, it sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? It really sounds like it's too good to be true. And these are the parts of the Bible that some people like to cut out and they like to say, no, I'm going to believe sort of the moral teachings of the Bible, but I can't believe that Jesus is going to come in the sky and blow a trumpet and that we're going to meet him in the air. Here's what G.K. Chesterton says in response to that objection. G.K. Chesterton was a British writer and theologian. He wrote in his book, Orthodoxy. He said, basically, think about the normal things that happen in life. Like, think about planting a seed in the ground. And over years and years and years and years, seeing a giant oak tree grow. Now, to some degree, there would be someone who could explain to you how and why that happens. But he says, when you get down to the basic explanation of why even things that simple happen, it is like saying Cinderella went to the ball and when the clock struck midnight, her carriage turned back into a pumpkin. We don't really understand the nature of things and we have pretended like we do. But the world we live in is an enchanted place. It's a miraculous place. And as Christians, we believe in a supernatural universe. And so as crazy as it sounds, we believe that Jesus will actually bodily descend from the clouds, that he is going to make a lot of noise, and that he is going to bring us with him as Christians, to be with him forever. So here's the specific question the Thessalonians had. They said, are our dead relatives going to miss the second coming of Jesus? They so believed that Jesus was coming again that they actually thought that he was going to come back in their lifetime. And so as their relatives started to die, they thought, they're going to miss it. They're not going to be raised from the dead. And so Paul writes to comfort them, and this is a comfort to all of us because I've heard even well-meaning Christians say, and I've probably said it before, that I hope I'm there when Jesus comes back. 
Here's what Paul's saying. You will be. The dead in Christ will rise first. Which means we're all going to be on the earth and all of a sudden, grandma's going to pop out of the grave. And Uncle John's going to pop out of the grave. And people are going to be resurrecting all around us. And Jesus is going to come back And there's going to be the sound of a trumpet and whatever the voice of an archangel is. And it's going to be this universal spectacle. Somehow everyone on earth is going to see it at the same time. And we will meet the Lord in the air. Some of you are like, How is he going to do that? And you will notice in the text over and over again, Paul refers to death as sleep. In fact, I learned this week that the word cemetery is really a theological word because a cemetery literally means a resting place, a place to take a nap, which points us to the resurrection Because to Jesus, death is not a great obstacle. It is as easy for him to raise human beings from the dead as it is for you or I to wake someone up from sleep. Have you ever unexpectedly woken someone up from sleep? I remember in college, we did this promo for a fall retreat that I was going on. And the way that we did this promo is we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, we got a video camera, and we got permission from different people's roommates to go to their house and to wake them up and to say, are you so excited for the fall retreat that you can't even sleep? And so we went to this woman who was on staff of the college ministry who was 10 years older than us. We'd gotten permission from her roommate. We went into her room, and she was one of those people that, you knew it was going to be fun to wake her up. And so we went in and we, sh- we flipped on the light and we just screamed, are you so excited you can't even sleep? And she sat up and in the video that we made, we did it in slow motion when she sat up, right? So she sits up and she's, ah! Here's the thing, with some careful planning, it is easy for human beings to wake up other human beings. And with some careful planning, it is very easy for Jesus Christ to wake dead people up. So our hope is in a bodily resurrection. You will get a new body that cannot die. And you will meet the Lord of all the earth in the air. And all of the sorrow and sighing and tears and brokenness and death will fly away from you forever in his presence. Then what? The Lord takes us up in the air. What happens next? Paul simply says, we will be with Jesus forever. We will always be with Jesus. Look how simply he puts this. 
And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Guys, two of the most basic human longings are that we would have joy and that that joy would last. And we have all looked for that joy in a million different places. I don't know about you, but whenever I watch a movie where a dad says to his son or a wife says to her husband or a dating couple says to one another, I will always love you. I will never leave you. My stomach always sinks. Because no human being can say that to another human being. We don't have it in our power to always love someone. But here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He has the power to rescue us forever. And he has the joy to make that rescue the most wonderful experience that you could ever imagine. Jesus is the only person who can say, I will always love you, and he will be able to keep his promise. I think all of us feel this longing at different times and in different places and in different ways. But I don't know about you, but I think I feel this longing for this enduring joy more than any other place when I'm on a really good vacation. So this past year, right after my son Jude died, we went to Florida and we stayed at this super nice place and a family sent us to Disney World and it was amazing. We got just a few days into the vacation and I did what a lot of you do. I started realizing that as soon as it began, it was ending. <laughs> the vacation was nine days long. And one day into the vacation, I'm like, there's only eight days left. Oh, there's seven days left. Oh, there's six days left. Oh, there's five days left. And that's our experience as human beings. No matter what we're looking to for this ultimate joy and this ultimate hope, when we really begin to think about it, we know that it's not going to last. Here's what Jesus is saying. The alwaysness of heaven will swallow up the temporariness of this life, which is good news. Because this world is not our home. This world is a broken place. So there will be a moment in the future, Christian, 85 billion years from now. When you look back at this earth and you have a faint memory of it, but it is so distant that what feels heavy, what feels like such loss, what feels like such pain now 
will have been gone for so long that it will seem like nothing. And you will look forward and it will be as if no time has passed. There is no counting down the days in heaven because the duration of our stay is forever. And the person that we will be with, according to Psalm 16, verse 11, is a person in whose presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forever. Around the throne of Jesus experiencing the joy of his presence. That's what we were made for. So here's my question for you. My question is, do you trust Jesus? Is Jesus the place where you are resting your ultimate treasure? Have you seen him for who he is? Do you believe that he died and rose again, that he will descend from heaven and that you will be with him forever? And is that transforming the way that you live your life now? Because if that is your ultimate hope, you are saved. It doesn't take any works there's nothing that we can boast about except that Jesus is our hope and he is an amazing rescuer. Let's pray. Jesus, often we feel fatigued. We feel sad. We feel tired. We are grieved by the brokenness in us and around us. We're grieved by things that we've done and by things that have been done to us. And when our eyes are on our circumstances, we get depressed. But when we look into your word, when we think about what you did 2,000 years ago at Easter, how one day you were dead and you rose to life, and we think about your precious and very great promises for our future, we are filled with hope. God, would somebody who didn't know you when they came in the room come to know you today? And will those of us who knew you when we came into the room know you better as a result of this Easter? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.